This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamara Lubicki. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose. And on Choni's Circle, we are going to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. Today we're going to look at Psalm 23. This is a particularly famous psalm, I would say. It gets used in Jewish liturgy, particularly around death. It's often recited at funerals, at Beth Shalom. We usually sing it at Shiva Minyanim as well. It's also often sung towards the end of Shabbat. Certainly a psalm of comfort, which maybe we'll talk more about. Um, But it's also a psalm that is well known more broadly because it also plays an important role in the Christian context. So it might be familiar to you. A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. God makes me lie down in green pastures. God leads me to water in places of repose. God renews my life. God guides me in right paths as befits God's name. Though I walk through a valley of deepest darkness, I fear no harm, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You spread a table for me in full view of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My drink is abundant. Only goodness and steadfast love shall pursue me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for many long years. And I guess a more typical translation, just to give a little context, we like often get these from Safaria, and so we don't always monitor the translation <laughs> before we read, but a more typical translation of Tzal Mavet is the shadow of death. Yeah. And actually, like a little tidbit on that, um, I actually know some of the story here. So traditionally, this was sort of always translated that way, right? Tzel is shadow, Mavet is death. And so reading the word that way sounds like shadow of death. But I guess more recently, I think an Akkadian cognate was discovered. This is the only time, I believe... I'm pretty sure this is the only time in the Tanakh that this word appears. So whenever that happens, we're never really sure what the words mean. And other ancient Semitic languages can be helpful tools for figuring out what the word means. And so, so there's another ancient Semitic cognate that was discovered more recently that means deep darkness, which probably contextually makes a little bit more sense. So some more sort of modern scholarly translations will have that instead. But classically speaking, right, anybody who's familiar with sort of a more classical or liturgical translation, it's usually the valley of the shadow of death as opposed to the valley of deep darkness. Right. Yeah. So one might make more sense from like a literal point of view. One, I feel like, is much more evocative in a poetic way. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's a hard... People... This is going to be a funny sentence, but people love the valley of the shadow of death, right? That is just... that's It's really evocative, right? That translation means something to people. And so even if this is sort of like more literarily accurate or something from a scholarly perspective, there is certainly a resonance 
especially because this is such a well-known psalm. And there's certainly right. a resonance that's lost by not using the value of the shadow of death. Right. And you were talking about how it's recited at funerals or at a shiva minion. So we don't need the phrase, the shadow of death, for this to be very meaningful in the context of our relationship to a loved one that has died. But if it's in there... It doesn't hurt. Yeah. And, you know, there's, again, as we talked about last episode, this idea of the Psalms speaking to the brokenhearted. The shadow of death, it just, it has that poetic quality of really being able to have you relate directly to that emotion. Like that phrase, it's like your spirit, your mood has this shadow hanging over it Mm -hmm. because of a death that has happened. Yeah. And of course, it can relate to a much broader arena than just a loved one dying. But this idea of death being present in our thoughts and and shadowing us. This is that iconic comfort of the Psalms. Yeah. I also think it's interesting, right, as we think about the role that nature plays here, the role that humans play in nature. A teacher of mine, Rabbi Michael Hecht, once taught something about this psalm that I had never noticed before, though in retrospect is like very obvious and really stuck with me in the way that I think about it. When this psalm begins, we, or the author, right, the I, seems to be a sheep. Right. Right? God is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Green pastures. God leads me to water. Right? Guides me in the right paths. Right? I'm not afraid. Your rod and your staff comfort right. me. We start as sheep. And... Then at verse 5, we suddenly seem to be human again because God is now spreading a table for us in the presence of our enemies and anointing our head with oil and our cup overflows. That's not sheep metaphor. (laughs) So now we seem to be human, and it seems like we stay that way through the rest of the psalm, asking that goodness, that tov and chesed, steadfast love or loving kindness— should pursue us and we should dwell in God's house. That all seems to be human language. And I think there's something really sweet, actually, about the way that the psalm brings comfort from sort of both of those perspectives. We get sort of the, I mean, look, I don't know what it is to be a sheep. It's not an experience that I've had. But it seems to me that there's something sort of simpler about that, right? Like, what are the sheep's concerns, right? That it shouldn't get lost, that it should have enough water, (laughs) it should have green pastures, right? right? It has sort of, like, the basic things that it needs for survival, and we're, like, comforted by that in the first half. And the second half seems, like, a little bit more complicated, not in a bad way, right? But, like, anointing my head with oil, is that something of, like, a status symbol, right? In the way that, like, priests or kings would be anointed with oil, You know, an overflowing cup maybe is also just about basic needs. I'm not sure. Um, But the idea of spreading a table for me in the presence of my enemies, right? Like, sheep don't have enemies. People have enemies. But I think there's something, like, sweet about having sort of, like, both of those kinds of abundance and comfort being provided. The more simplistic level one and the level two as well that we get at the end of the psalm. Right. The order is interesting. So it starts out with the simple... And then we have, let's see, verse 5. 
So verse five is kind of like that is the human verse.、Mm-hmm. So two through five, you're a sheep. Yeah, one through five, five really. Oh yeah, yeah, because shepherd, shepherd, shepherd,、yeah. right? So one through five, you're a sheep. Five, you're a human who's got enemies and power, but also maybe has a lot of abundant stuff.、Mm-hmm. And then six could apply to both. Yeah, and I think the way that I might naturally read it. Isn't exactly the way thinking of it in this context. I would lay it out. So in this context, to me, it's like, well, we're not reading this to a sheep. I mean, you could, but the sheep wouldn't understand it. <laughs> We are reading this as human beings with a lot of responsibility, stress, conflict with other humans, and sometimes concern about resources.、Mm-hmm. So we're really in verse five. And I think the comfort comes before the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas, mm-hmm. I feel like in a modern presentation, you might put the problem first and then the comfort second. Well, it's kind of sandwich comfort sandwich because、yeah. the last verse is also comfort. So that's really interesting. So we're we're speaking to the person, but before we introduce the problems, we're like, here is the comfort. Here is a way of. I think again, like relating to your stress. Yeah, and I think that there's an element here too of not in a demeaning way, but reminding us that maybe our problems aren't as big as we think they are. That we think of ourselves as the people in verse five with like complicated social dynamics and stress, and there's a reminder that like actually, in God's eyes, we're just sheep, right? Like we have some basic physical needs. You know, and maybe we feel fear. That is real, but it's sort of the like simple, straightforward fear of like being lost or harmed. But like, actually, the things that we need are like food, water, rest, physical safety. <laughs> and so maybe it's a reminder also not to blow ourselves out of proportion. Right. When we start telling more and more stories about all the responsibility we have, all the people who annoy us, <laughs> like maybe. Shut those stories down, and then re-engage with this simpler relationship.、Yeah. But it's it's not just a simple relationship with God. It's framed in a very natural setting.、Mm-hmm. So this idea of the green pastures.、Mm-hmm. So for a sheep, it's like good food. But I think for the human being reading this, it's again coming back to that beauty of nature. And the connection that we can feel, and the awe that we can feel, with、yeah. just being in that setting. Yeah, and I think, and I think it's also a subtle reminder, right, that not all nature necessarily provides that comfort, right. So this is imagining that the kinds of waters, right, that we're being led to are meimenuchot. They're calm. Restful waters, as opposed to right, we we've seen a lot, and and you know, in future episodes, we'll see more too about stormy waters. Right,、mm. there's a lot of imagery in the Book of Psalms and elsewhere about waters that are not calm, but the waters that we're being led to here are like explicitly calm ones. Right, right? nature contains not just God's right paths, but also valleys of the shadow of death. I don't know. I think a reminder. Both that nature can be a place that inspires awe and a place of abundance, but also can be a place of danger, 
and that at particular moments and in particular kinds of distress, we need different things from nature, which might mean that we need different spaces in the natural world, that different spaces in nature can fulfill different functions in our lives. But the last verse is, Ach Only good and loving kindness? How would you translate chesed? It's a good question. So so generally speaking, in like modern Jewish life, we often right. translate it as loving kindness. In particular, like when we talk about our responsibility to engage in gemilut chesedim, um, in acts of loving kindness. Again, from sort of a more scholarly perspective in Torah translations, there's an element of loyalty in chesed, which is, I think, why it translates this as steadfast love, right? Uh. There's, a, there's a permanence that is conveyed by chesed when it's used in the Tanakh that loving kindness doesn't quite capture. Interesting. Um, right. So the psalm wraps up that we're being pursued by good and this steadfast love. It's a beautiful phrase, and I connect it with the imagery at the beginning. The, like, calm waters, the green pastures. To me, that's the visual image that can be connected with this idea of good and steadfast love. Yeah. And there's something, I think, a little bit radical and surprising here because we're not usually chased by good things, <laughs> right? No, like, like yeah. your defuni is, uh, is a word of, like, really being pursued, right. right? Something is following us, and I haven't done an analysis of every time this root gets used in the Torah <laughs> or anything like that, but overwhelmingly, we get pursued by things like enemies right? as opposed to being actively pursued by, by goodness and by steadfast love. And I think there's something powerful about closing the psalm that way, of not just sort of this hope that we that we find ourselves in these places of calm, but actually that they follow us. And how do we reconnect it with the theme of our podcast, the nature? <laughs> I think, as you said, we're usually pursued by bad things. And I think that's not only true in the Torah or with this word, it's like often a psychological truth bad parts of our lives or the scary parts of the news or the parts of the future that look more destructive can feel like they're pursuing us like in a psychological sense. And I think when we think of our world changing, the scary parts can pursue us. Yeah. And I think there's a question then of like what we do with these words, right? Is this just a just like a hope and prayer that actually goodness and love might pursue us instead. And that like, right, the outcomes might be different, right? That some of those scary things will disappear. Or is this also a call to us um, to, to feel goodness and love pursuing us, to notice those things too, right? To read the news and also notice the bright spots um, and notice the places where we might have the opportunity to build something better and to change the path that we're on which is really hard to do if you feel like you're being chased all the time. In, in order to be able to do that, you have to be you have to notice the good things that are chasing you in addition to the scary ones. Yeah, may we notice the good things that are chasing us. Amen.
I'm Rabbi Paula Rose, the Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group. Choni Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Labicki Feldman. Thanks for listening and learning with us.